0: John chapter 13, last week we talked about the commandment that Jesus gave, the new commandment. Remember now, think with me. Where is Jesus and where are the disciples in their journey? Well, it's the last night they'd be together before his crucifixion. There is something in military... Or at least a term that's used in military strategy or vernacular. And it's called the victory disease. It occurs in military history when complacency or arrogance. It makes an engagement end disastrously for a commander and his forces. It's produced in that commander by a victory in the past or a series of victories that have occurred. A commander may in fact disdain the enemy and he believes his own invincibility and it leads his troops to disaster. That commander may be an effective military strategist He may have a long track record of military history and victory. And he may even employ strategies that though effective in earlier campaigns and maneuvers prove catastrophic against a new enemy or against a smarter, more intelligent, more skillful enemy. The commander who's afflicted by victory disease May also fail to anticipate that the new enemy may use a tactic different from those of the old enemy. And an overconfident commander may disregard military intelligence that would enable the commander to realize that a different approach is needed. In our own understanding of scripture, even though it's not called the victory disease, We see that even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, when at times the military leader would send a smaller squad or a smaller number to take on what he would consider an inferior foe. We see that in Joshua at the Battle of Ai. When after a great victory at Jericho, Joshua underestimated strength, and the fighting ability of this handful of men from that small little village. And because of that, and because of other factors, Israel came back literally, or if I could say it this way, with their tail tucked between their legs, like a scalded dog. Having lost that first initial battle, Because of overconfidence. They overestimated their own ability and they underestimated the ability and the strength and power of the enemy. We say somebody who oftentimes they're overconfident and they overpromise. And yet so often someone who overpromises seems to underdeliver. And that not only happens in military campaigns, ladies and gentlemen, I'm afraid it happens in our spiritual lives as well. Overconfidence is detrimental. And we see a case history here in John 13 of the dangers of being overconfident. And I want us to pay careful attention tonight. Notice in verse 36, now remember Jesus had just told his disciples... That he was going away. They were going to be without him. So Simon Peter says to Jesus, verse 36, are you with me? Say amen. Amen. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Whither goest thou? Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. Or in other words, where I'm going, you cannot follow me, but thou shalt follow me hereafter. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. In other words, what Simon Peter literally is doing is saying, Lord, I know I know, you may not let these other fellows go with you. I know you might not trust these other guys, but hey, me and you were buds. We're buds. Me and you were tight. We're close. I'm part of your inner circle, remember? I've been there when you've done some things that the other fellas hadn't seen or witnessed. Remember me, Lord? I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, I was there when you raised Jairus' daughter. Lord, you've, you've told me and John and James some things that you hadn't told the other fellas. I know I'm your favorite. I know you trust me and Lord, you can trust me and man, and, and Lord, I, I, Lord, I can go with you. I'm able to go with you. Will you let me go? Then he says, Lord, I'll lay down my life. Wherever you going, Lord, I don't care how tough or how hard it is. I don't care what is demanded of me. Lord, I'll die for you. Oh, will you? Verse 38. Jesus answered him, "Will you, wilt thou, will you lay down thy life for my sake, Simon Peter?" Will you really? Verily, verily, or truly, truly, or we would say it this way, what I'm about to tell you is absolute fact, absolute truth, Simon Peter. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock or the rooster shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice, three times. Simon Peter, you talk big. Simon Peter, you talk a good game. But the truth is, you're going to deny me three times before the sun rises in the morning. Simon Peter's attitude was, now wait a minute, Lord, I'm the exception. Lord, I got this. Everybody else may turn and run. Everybody else might get nervous and might be scared. Everybody else, Lord, might let you down. I'm never going to let you down. I'm not going to be like them. Lord, you can count on me. So I want to show you tonight three warning signs of being overconfident. Warning sign number one. Listen carefully. It's the it will never happen to me attitude. It will never happen to me. That's what his attitude was in verse 37. Lord, these other fellas might not be ready, but I am. Lord, all these other fellas, all these other fellas may turn and run, but I never will. I'll die for you, Lord. I'll lay down my life for you. It'll never happen to me. I got a feeling, though, that there were others in the Bible that felt the same. Maybe Lot felt like that. Maybe maybe Abraham had warned him when he let it be known that he was looking to settle in the well watered plains of Jordan near Sodom and Gomorrah, and Uncle Abraham warned him, said nephew, you better be careful. You better seriously consider this decision. Oh, oh, Abraham. <laughs> You don't have to worry about me. It'll never happen to me. Wonder if David had that spirit in 2 Samuel chapter 11 when he should have been in battle but he was not and he was overconfident and he stayed behind. And he lingered, and he lusted, and ultimately David lost of overconfidence it'll never happen to me oh it might have happened to Saul I'm not going to be that foolish I'm not going to be that careless I'm sure it happened to Samson when because of overconfidence he little by little compromised on standards that God had put in his life so much so That he revealed what he thought was the secret to his power and strength. His hair. But I want you to know that Samson lost his edge long before he lost his hair. Because of his overconfidence. And his attitude that it will never happen to me. Over and over and over again in scripture you see good people who lost their edge and they lost their carefulness and they got careless now listen to me I'm talking to people tonight that have been around long enough to see that not only in the Bible but we've seen it in the lives of others that we know and love and I'll say this to you my dear friend don't ever, ever say, well, that could never happen to me. Because you know what I've learned? It can. Don't ever, don't ever say, well, I, 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 it, marital trouble, oh, oh, can never happen to me. Hope it doesn't pray it doesn't but don't ever say it can never happen to you losing my integrity oh compromising on my morals and my purity oh it, it never happened to me losing my kids Losing my witness and my testimony and my effectiveness. Oh, preacher, you you don't have to worry about me. It can never, never happen to me. Losing my ministry and my ability to work in the local church. It'll never happen to me. Friends, brothers, sisters, just be careful. Don't ever say, it'll never happen to me. Now you can have resolve, it's okay, and you ought to have resolve. We ought to say, Lord, I don't want it to happen to me, and through your power and through your grace, I want you to overcome me, and I want you to feel me, so that it will never happen to me. Please don't be so foolish as to say, it can never happen to me. Take your Bible quickly, go to 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to turn there with you, 1 Corinthians 10. The Apostle Paul in verses 1 through 9 is giving a history lesson to the church at Corinth and he's speaking to these individuals and he's saying that the Old Testament Jews, all the different struggles that they had, talking about they passed through the cloud, they passed through the sea, he brings up Moses, He talked about that God gave them meat. God gave them that spiritual drink. They drank, verse 4, from that spiritual rock. But verse 5, with many of them, God was not well pleased. They were overthrown in the wilderness. In other words, he's saying, God set these folks up for success, and yet they failed the Lord and they let God down. Verse 6, they lusted after evil things. They were idolaters, he said, verse 7. Verse 8, they committed fornication. And one day there fell three and 20,000. Verse 9, they tempted the Lord. Verse 10, they murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11 says, now all these things happened to us, unto them, for an example for us, for our admonition. Watch this. And then verse 12 is a great challenge. Wherefore, stop. In other words, because of all this. Let him that thinketh he standeth. Stop. He didn't say let him that thinks, or he didn't say let him that stands. He said let him that thinks he's standing tall. Lest they fall. The surest way to fall is by being overconfident. The surest way to fall, Jesus says here and teaches us a lesson, the surest way to fall into sin and to fall and to get tripped up spiritually is to think that it could never, oh, it might happen to y'all. It might happen to y'all over here and this side. It might happen to y'all. But I'm going to tell you something. It'll never happen to me. Pride goeth before destruction. And an arrogant, haughty spirit goes before a fall. Sign number number one of being overconfident is the it'll never happen to me attitude. And then there's another sign, number two. It's the I can do this on my own attitude. Attitude. Would you take your copy of Scripture? Turn with me, please, quickly to Matthew 26. I can do this on my own. (laughs) I don't have to change anything. I don't need any exceptional power. I don't need to pray more. I don't need to fast. I don't need to get with God. I can do this on my own. I've had victory in the past. I can have victory right now without doing anything different, anything exceptional. Matthew 26, 37. And he, Jesus, took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. And he's in the garden now. He's in the garden now. And he says, tarry ye here, watch with me. He carries these three apart from the other men and they go deeper into that Uh, olive vineyard there and Jesus says I want you guys to sit right here and I want you to pray with me I want you to pray for me I want you to intercede with me and I want you to be faithful and I want you to stay awake and I want you to pray my soul is exceeding sorrowful I'm about to die he said even unto death tarry ye here and watch Verse 39, and he went a little further in and fell on his face and prayed, saying, "Oh my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So he cometh comes back unto the disciples, verse 40, and finds them on their knees praying. Is that what he says? He finds them huddled up, agonizing on his behalf. No, no, no finds asleep and he wakes them up and I don't know if his footsteps coming into that little area in the garden woke him up or if his words woke them up but notice the one he addresses he didn't address John or James even though they were asleep too he addressed who Peter what what? Could you not watch with me just one hour, Simon Peter? Hey, big shot. Hey, big talker. You couldn't stay awake? You couldn't pray with me? You couldn't intercede for me? Watch and pray. He tells him again, hey, I'm serious. Watch and pray that you, not me, but that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of y'all know that's true? Say amen right there. Oh, my word. And he went a little further the second time, went went away again the second time and prayed. Verse 43, and he came and found them. (laughs) If it wasn't so sad... And disappointing, it'd be comical. Now let me tell you why this is sad and disappointing. Because you just as well put Christian Powell's name in there too. Lest you and I think, oh, I wouldn't go to sleep. Yeah, we would have. Probably. He came again and found them asleep again. Their eyes were heavy and he left them. And he went away a third time. I can do this on my own. Lord, I know you're about to be challenged and so am I, but I don't have to pray. I just told you I'd go with you all the way to death. I'm not going to get scared. I don't have to pray. I got this. I've stood up before. I've made some bold statements before. Remember, Lord? Remember back over there in Matthew 16 when you said, Hey, who do men say that I am? Remember? Remember? And I said, Hey, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was me, Lord. Remember that? Hey, Lord, remember in John 6 when all that crowd turned and left and, 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 and you said, Hey, are y'all going to go away too? And, hey, remember who it was that said, Lord, who else are we going to go to? You're the only one that has the words of eternal life. Remember who that was? Lord, it was me. I said that. I don't need to pray. I'm tired. I need to be ready for battle. I need my rest. I need my sleep. So when they come to arrest you, I can pull my sword out and show them who's boss. I don't need to pray. I can do this on my own. You ever been there Lord I don't need to pray today <laughs> I got a pretty light day boy I had a good week last week Lord I, I don't I don't need to pray this week I don't need to pray today I had a good day yesterday I, I, I don't I don't suspect the devil's gonna come give me any trouble today I mean look at the day I had yesterday hey uh Lord, boy we had a good church service today Lord I don't need to pray and things are going good right now Lord I don't need to pray I'm not struggling financially right now. I'm not struggling in my marriage right now. Lord, my kids are doing pretty good. I, I, I don't need to pray. I can do this on my own. You may not ever feel like that. But I'm afraid sometimes I get to thinking that about myself. It'll never happen to me. I can do this on my own. And I close with the last one. And boy, this is frightening to me. Because I'm afraid that this is so subtle. Stay there in Matthew 26. Go back up to verse 31. It's what I call, I'm better than most, attitude. Attitude. I'm better than most. Oh my word, look at what he said in verse 31. Then saith Jesus unto them, listen. He's talking to the to the 11 now. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. Every last One of you, he said. Even John. Temporarily, to a certain degree, even John. Even John, even John. Jesus said, All of you are going to be offended in me. All of you are going to turn. All of you are going to run. All of you are going to get scared. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. And he made that statement in verse 32. After I'm risen again. And it's almost like they didn't remember. Remember that? They forgot. I think their ears were still buzzing and their head was still spinning. When he called them all out and said, All of y'all are going to run. And then Simon Peter, verse 35, verse 33. Peter answered and said unto him, Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh uh-uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. And this is the parallel passage to John 19 or John 13. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee this, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Lord, all these other fellows might let you down, (laughs) but I'm not going to. Because I'm better than them. I mean, I appreciate them and everything. And they're good guys. You know, they love you too, but i tell you what, they don't love you like I do. They're not as strong as I am. They're not as... I mean, you want something done? You just tell me. I'm your man. i get her done. Have I ever let you down, Lord? Have you ever known me to be wrong? Yeah, I'm better than them. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes, as a Christian, it's easy to look around at the body of Christ, or at least other church members that you know and love and appreciate. I mean, we're all buds, we're all friends, and sometimes it's easy to think, "Well, I tell you what. I mean, I got. I mean, I got. I got better character than they do." You know what that's called? It's called self-righteousness. It's called thinking you're something that you're not. I wonder, do we struggle with that? We all do. And what I know about self-righteousness is it's just as offensive and hurtful to Jesus as unrighteousness is self-righteousness is in itself a form of unrighteousness. Because you see, spiritual pride is the worst kind of pride. When you're proud of yourself for some sort of spiritual accomplishment or character trait. When the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day and at the end of life, if there is any, any good thing in me or you, it is only because of the goodness and grace of Jesus.